It's the Airhead 247 Podcast. The Airhead 247 Podcast, powered by Wedgetail Ignition Systems, state of the art ignition for your 247 Airhead. Proudly made in Australia by motorcyclists who love their BMWs by the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America, who invite you to ride inspired. And Boxer2Valve.com, the premium supplier for all your airhead replacement parts. Now, let's get this thing fired up. Hello again, everyone. On the program this week, we're pleased to be joined once again by Ted Porter. This is Ted Porter 2.0, as it were. Regular listeners will recall Ted was the very first featured guest on our very first episode. And some things have changed at the Beamer Shop since we last spoke, so we'll get into all that among other topics with Ted on this week's program. We'll spend the whole hour with Ted this week. Our guest hosts, George Thomas and William Plam, they will be returning in the coming weeks, so hold tight. We've got some interesting and fun topics on tap with both George and William. Want to take a moment to mention the passing of Mark Morrissey. We learned of his passing shortly after our last program was released, and I know many of you have gone back and listened to the two episodes here we featured with him. First off, I want to apologize for the poor audio quality. We had one shot at that phone interview, and the long-distance connection did leave a little bit to be desired. That said, after going back and listening to those interviews again myself recently— I'm hard-pressed to think of anyone who was more passionate and enthusiastic about the 247. His love for BMW motorcycles and the joy his airheads brought him were unmatched, and we're fortunate to have a historical record of that here. To his family and friends, his impact and contributions to the community will always be with us. Okay, we want to say thank you to Richard in Lithuania for tuning in and writing Like others, he's never attended a tech day. Richard dropped a line and said he's ready to find one. Those of you who are in the States and interested in attending a tech day, check out airheads.org to find about the next event in your area or how to join the club. If you're overseas, how about this idea? Buy some beer and food, put the word out and say, we're fixing bikes and drinking beer in my garage. I'll bet some folks show up. All right, everybody, off to Scotts Valley, California, near Monterey Bay for a visit with Ted Porter on the Airhead 247 podcast. Pleased to be back on the line with Ted Porter at Ted Porter's Beamer Shop. And Ted, first things first here, you've eased back a little bit on what you do at the shop. I remember uh, last we spoke in a non-interview format, uh, just for something else, you were sort of tuning back uh, what you were doing, turning back, I should say, what you were doing. So what's the current status of the Beamer shop? What work and services are you still offering? What are you not offering these days? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me back, Darren. This is always fun, and you do a great job with this thing. So so thanks for for having me back. Indeed. Yeah, the... um, you know, we, we, we did everything for a while, you know, when I was a younger man, I, I, we did it all. And uh, I'm not a younger man anymore, so, you know, we've had to, to cut back on it. And, 
the last thing, you know, I stopped doing full service and I stopped doing most of the bench work and I was only doing transmissions and heads and then I stopped doing transmissions. And now as of May of last year, I've stopped doing the heads. And fortunately, um, I did find a very skilled machinist who has an interest and a passion for these bikes to take over that head work. And he actually reached out to me. His name is Todd Mulliken, and he owns a company called Brits and Beamers. So Brits like British bikes, britsandbeamers.com. And he's he's actually a, a, you know, a machinist turned mechanic, not mechanic turns, turned machinist. So his, he, he has a lot of background uh, in machine shop operations. So, and that's what you need. You've either got to be trained by somebody like that, which was my case when I was much younger, or you have to have that kind of background. And so um, he, he, it's great being able to turn this over to him now. Now, did you spend so, uh, did yeah. you spend some time, I don't want to say training him necessarily, but if you're sort of punting over all the work that you were doing uh, and your customers. The head work. Yeah, the head work and those sort of things. So did you spend some time with him on the phone? Did you have some notes you shared? Did he come to the shop? What was that sort of pseudo handover like? Yeah, the first two things that you mentioned. Uh, when he reached out to me, uh, I'd heard his name, but I didn't know him very well. So we chatted, and I got a feel for what, what he did. And, uh, I, I mean, I kind of knew right away, oh, yeah, this is the guy. I've been looking for somebody like this guy. And so I sent him a video of a, a cylinder head in, in, in a milling machine and, and having this deep pocket milled. And he got back to me and told me, uh, you know, exactly what that uh, cutting tool was. And he said, yeah, it does good work, but I actually have something better. <laughs> and uh, uh, when we talked about interference fits and he was already halfway there at least. And so, I just, I just kind of shared some tips, you know, I, 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 I just a couple of things that are not published, some numbers that are not published, that sort of thing. And, um, and, and, you know, some of the things that I learned the hard way so that maybe he didn't have to learn it the hard way. And, and he was also going to do a couple sets of his own cylinder heads first. So I love that idea. You know, he's not going to just start out working on customer cylinder heads. Did he have Airhead BMW experience prior to? Yes. Okay. He has had a repair shop for many years, yeah. But he only he only sort of dabbled in the cylinder head work. I got you. Uh, is the impression I'm under, or was gearing up to do it, perhaps. Not not entirely sure. Maybe he should be your next interview. I think so. Uh, <laughs> I think it's going to be quest. worth a call. It's going to be <laughs> worth a call. So you said that was back in May. So here we are in October. Yeah. What uh, do you know? What the status with that is? Has he been been busy getting work? Have you been referring yeah. folks to him? Yes, it's on our website uh, that we don't do this work anymore, and uh, and we refer uh, those inquiries to him uh, right on our website. And yeah, I understand he's he's rocking. He's getting a lot of head work. Let me just ask you personally. Um, you know, I know you were sort of ready to phase out of this work and having been doing it for so long, bench work, component repair, and all that kind of stuff. Did you have mixed emotions about stopping it? And now that you have, what, how, what's that been like for you? 
I did have mixed emotions for a variety of reasons. You know, you, when you've been doing something for so long, it just becomes second nature. You know, you have all this muscle memory. You, you know, you, you, I could hone valve guide to my sleep. Um, and also, the business model started in 2004, this business, <clears throat> with uh, it was all service based. That's what we did. You know, we, we had a we had a small website. We had the suspension thing going, and we were importing and selling shocks and that sort of thing. But really, our day to day was servicing motorcycles. You know, we had uh, at one point uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, either nine or ten motorcycle lifts. You know, and they were full of motorcycles every day. So. Stepping away from that slowly but surely, really through attrition, you know, I had one guy that moved to Washington State, and, and uh, so he wasn't available to, to be a technician anymore, and then another guy. I was down to one guy, and I, I really didn't want more mechanics because it really restricted my freedom to do other things because you really have to quality control everything that goes through your shop if you're not doing it yourself. So I had to be there every day, all day. It was difficult to take vacations. It was difficult to go to trade shows, that sort of thing. And in fact, in the early years, if I was on vacation, we would literally close the shop and everybody would have to take that time off. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tough growing a service business if, if you're not going to be there every day or, or you're doing it by yourself. But at any rate, getting back to your question, um, it, it, it was a tough, tough leap. But I knew the time was, was right. And there's also a thing that can happen uh, when you have a passion for something and then it's your job every day, you know, that can really dampen the passion. You know, after a while, it's work. It's another job. It's another job. It's another job. You know, sometimes when I see on one of the Facebook forums, someone will say, hey, check this out. Isn't this cool? I'm doing a rear main seal today. You know, I look at that and cringe. <laughs> <laughs> I can, yeah, I can imagine. I'm like, oh, my God, how many rear main seal shots have I done over all these decades? Oh, what a god-awful job. It's so dirty, you know, because you'd go in there and everything, I would, we would clean everything. It would be spick and span back there when we were done. But it's just a dirty, messy job and, you know. It's, you just don't get excited about it when it's your job. Um, and I have my own bikes that I want to work on, and I, and I want to get some of that back, like this is going to be fun. I'm going to go in, I'm going to put that R90S up in the air, and I'm going to pull those carbs off and go through them. You know, I want that to be fun again instead of, Come on, you got to get these carbs done because then you got to start working on a transmission, and that's got to be done by the end of the day because these heads have to go tomorrow. You know, it's a completely different, different uh, experience. So that's kind of what's happening. I, I actually, you know, now have one of my own bikes in the air, and uh, so that's that's uh, that's where I'm I'm hoping this will will go. I can I got a back room full of them. You know, when you have a a business like this, they. They tend to reproduce. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we'll we'll, we'll talk about those in a minute. Uh, you were kind enough to send me a list of some of your project bikes, and we'll go over those here in a little while. Uh, but we should say though, this doesn't mean that the Beamer shop, uh, what you're describing here, is not closed for business. Of course, you still have 
mm-hmm. parts uh, for all manners of uh, BMWs, Airheads, and later models. And I guess if if we're still saying the Beamer shop is still a full-service shop for one thing, is it fair to say that would then be suspension? Exactly. Um, right now I'm waiting on, on some... Um, uh, electronic preload adjuster chrome sleeves to come in from Europe because I've got a we call, the, we call them EPAs electronic preload adjusters. I've got an EPA part on my bench, and the chrome has rusted and it's leaking, and I can we can fix that. Um, I also have a pair of R9 T forks apart. We're putting uh, an upgraded cartridge kit. Uh, in a set of those. Jeff's probably got a number of shocks apart back there that he's rebuilding. The business has actually grown. You know, we're, we're, we're doing more business today than, you know, we did the year before and the year before that. So, you know, the bench work was a very small percentage of what we used to do. And, and you know, the guys are filling parts orders every day, all day, stuff going out the door, you know, that's being ordered on the website, that sort of thing. So the business is very busy. It, it, you know, it's just we're not we're not working. We're not turning wrenches anymore. I got on, you on motorcycles. I got yeah. you. Yeah, I mean that's that's not a, a totally accurate statement either. Obviously, we're working on forks and shocks and things of that nature. But you get the point. I do. I do. So I, I know I've purchased a, a number of Wilbur units, Wilbur's units uh, from you from my from my Airheads over the years, but. Wilbur's fork springs, uh, essentially, and that's for the for the longest time. That's kind of been a static offering, at least as far as two four sevens and airheads are concerned. There there haven't been a whole lot of new products developed. I know there are some other cartridges, uh, cartridge emulators, uh, Race Tech for one, but uh, mm-hmm. and some folks are are using those and doing those. In fact, I just bought a, an R80RT uh, where somebody had uh, installed those, and I was really, really impressed uh, with the improvement uh, with those uh, race tech yep. emulators. All that to say, though, you had mentioned to me uh, that you are now uh, on the precipice or will be soon offering uh, uh, another f- front fork cartridge system that will be available for the 247. Is that right? Yeah, we're we're playing around with them right now to okay. see if they work as advertised, to see how they're designed internally, and so forth. Um, yeah, the situation is an older damper rod fork is not velocity sensitive. In other words, the the damping characteristics of the fork don't change based on the compression speed. So, you know, a small bump, a big bump, it's just it's just holes in a damper rod. And those holes don't get bigger for a bigger bump and smaller for a smaller bump. So that's why we say a damper rod fork is not velocity sensitive. A cartridge fork is, because a cartridge is more like a, like a shock. It has a, a piston with a stack of deflection shims. And as you compress the fork, you push that piston through the oil. The oil goes through the ports and hits a stack of these deflection shims on the other side, and it bends them out of the way. That's what's commonly referred to as a shim stack in a, in a shock. And so <clears throat> the, the higher the velocity of the compression event, the more these shims deflect out of the way. So a cartridge fork is velocity sensitive. This will give you better ride comfort. 
uh, better traction and control. So a cartridge is always superior to a non-cartridge fork. Um, and so this, this is where the Racetech cartridge emulator comes in, is that he created this product, which I, I don't know uh, a lot about uh, patent law, but it, it, maybe there's a, a limit on how long uh, his patent uh, could be enforced because I notice everybody and his brother's making these emulators now. Right. And, uh, you know, they all say that theirs is better than the original. But anyway, um, uh, you drill out the holes in the damper rods so that the holes don't meter the oil anymore. The oil just goes freely through those holes and goes up through the center of the tube and it hits this device, this emulator that emulates the way a cartridge works. So it's a spring loaded valve essentially it's just a uh, instead of a stack of shims it's washers it's large i forget that there's actually a term for it i forget what it's called but that that valve or that washer just pushes against a spring and the bigger the bumper the higher the velocity the more it, it moves open and so it makes your damper rod fork velocity sensitive and it emulates the way a cartridge works and that was the only way to go, you know, for the longest time if you wanted your fork to behave that way and, and um, didn't mind doing the work because it's a lot of work. And if you're paying someone to do it, you're going to pay a lot of labor. Let me jump in there and say, too, Ted, that it's also sort of a destructive process. So you're, uh, at least with the race tech, and from what I can recall, you're actually cutting a top off the damper. Uh, you're making changes to the internal parts that you can't, go back and undo uh, necessarily. Right. True. Of course, there are a whole lot of those used parts out in the world, but, <laughs> but your yeah. point is, is, is true. Um, and, and they're not externally adjustable. There, is, there are different springs. We always put the softest of the springs that mm -hmm. Tech provides. I think, I think he's got, what is it, three springs? And, yeah. And I can't remember. But anyway, uh, and then there's a nut a nylock nut, and it adjusts the tension on that thing. But you have to take it apart to adjust it. And then they give you some PVC. to You have to, you have to cut your own spacer to set your preload on the spring. So, of course, so it's a lot of work. Um, the thing that's cool about these cartridges that are coming out now for bikes that are traditional forks, they're not upside-down forks, but they, they take a cartridge and they make it fit inside these traditional right-side-up forks. And there are some limitations here and there, like in terms of piston size and that sort of thing, because the diameter of the tubes are small. But uh, you end up with a true cartridge fork uh, that has compression and rebound separately. One side has compression, one side has rebound, and also spring preload adjust in these adjustable caps. So it's it's pretty cool. Okay, for, so... For people who want good suspension up front it's 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 the trick all right let me let me jump in and ask you there so you're saying with this new system that you're looking at that you're experimenting with a little bit uh you have yet to offer it uh it sounds like uh, what you're saying is then this is going to be it the setup is similar to the um uh, third or second generation um gs models where you had compression on one fork well, you're talking about the R100GS, yeah, which so, had a pretty sophisticated damper rod fork, as yeah. far as damper rod forks go. You, you did have 
it was as I'm trying to do all this from memory here now, but as I recall, there was some kind of an anti-bottoming cone valve in one side, and you had compression on one, rebound on the other. Rebound on the other. Thank you. Still a damper rod. Yeah, but uh, it was. It's still a damper rod fork. Right. It's not. It's not. It's not velocity sensitive. So. And of course, no external adjustments. Right. Right. So this. And there set, is a cartridge fork for the R1. Got it. So right. this setup would be compression. Uh, and dampening on one side or the other, similar to that setup? Well, it's, yes, it's similar. The BMW Motorcycle Owners of America and BMW Motorrad have teamed up for a 10% rebate for MOA member purchases of original BMW apparel, accessories, and all OEM parts. In essence, if it has a BMW motorcycle part number, MOA members can earn a 10% rebate on the purchase. Those of you doing a big refresh or restoration on your 247, no doubt this can save you some cash. Or maybe you're in the market for a new riding suit or jacket, those are included as well. Every purchase made at a BMW Motorrad-based dealer in the United States, for example, Max or Bob's BMW, or online at shopbmwmotorcycles.com, qualifies for the rebate. MOA members simply submit purchase information directly to the MOA for the rebate. Rebates are managed by the MOA and members are free to support any dealer of their choice where original BMW parts, gear, and accessories are sold. This promotion is scheduled to run through the remainder of 2023. So if you're already an MOA member, well done, and you've probably already taken advantage of this offer. If you're not an MOA member, visit the About section of this podcast for information on the MOA's free one-year membership promotion and start earning 10% back on all BMW parts, apparel, and accessories. As always, thanks to everybody at the BMW Motorcycle Owners of America for supporting our program. Now, back to our chat with Ted Porter. Got it. So this setup would be compression uh, and dampening on one side or the other, similar to that setup. Well, it's yes, it's similar in regards to the fact that one side has compression damping and the other side has rebound rebound damping. Right, exactly. But but the R100GS was still a damper rod fork. 100%. And and no external adjustments. 100%. Now, Andriani has a kit, so we have no problem. No one has any problems getting a cartridge kit with external adjusters for the R100GS because Andriani's had that out for a while. But it's the it's the other bikes, the older bikes, uh, seventy to eighty, mm-hmm. uh, eighty one to eighty four, eighty five and on mono lever, where there just wasn't anything like that out on the market. And now there's a company in Germany who's who's making them. They're kind of expensive, um, and we're trying to figure out if there's even a way for us to, you know, bring them in and market them here uh, and make it make sense financially. But we're still kind of working on that, and. Um, and in fact, right now I'm working on rewriting their directions. They, they're, they're, their directions are really bad. They're not well translated from German. And uh, so I'm working on that. But the biggest thing is to get a couple sets in and installed. I've only installed one kit so far on an 81 to 84 bike. I'm waiting for that customer to give me some feedback. He's also supposed to bring it by after he gets it all back together so I can ride it. 
and do a setup on it. Uh, but anyway, it's it's just cool that, that this kind of stuff's available now that, you know, I mean, granted, these are 40, 45, 50-year-old motorcycles. Some people are, are happy with the way they work. You know, give me a good set of fork springs and a pair of shocks, and it is what it is, and I don't expect it to be modern, and that's fine. Other people want a little bit more out of it. They want to try and modernize it a bit. They want it to handle better, perform better. Um, and, you know, for those people, these cartridge kits might be interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, stay tuned on that. And I, for one, am anxious to hear how that works out. And uh, I would happily be an early uh, adapter of that uh, if you're going to be offering those. <laughs> and, and let me also say <laughs> thank you for going back and taking the time to go through the directions. Uh, because some, uh, somebody who does a lot of at-home installs from uh, aftermarket parts and things, uh, as you know, a lot can be left. A lot can be left to be desired, uh, especially when you're translating. So it's good to know if you're going through them and they're going to be available as a mass-marketed item. They should be done pretty well. So that's good to know. Yeah, and that that you can understand the directions. I actually uh, was working on them, and I have it on my desk. Oh. While we're chatting, I'll see if I can find the, some of the more humorous um, <laughs> uh, statements in here, you know, that are completely contradictory. So you're left with going, well, which is it? So that's uh, that's exciting. Yeah. I'm uh, always looking for ways to improve these motorcycles, and, you know, suspension's come a long way since then. Well, like I said, I uh, just purchased a bike where a previous owner had done a cartridge conversion and it it truly is night and day um as and and this was for a mono lever and so he had also put on a uh uh, beefier uh, i think it was a toaster tan uh triple uh triple clamp and so it was uh having never experienced anything like that i was hoping that i would not really notice the difference so i wouldn't want to do it to other bikes but now that i've experienced it um, it's one of those things where I think I'm just going to slowly start doing that, uh, on, on a bunch of the older airheads. Cause it really does, uh, improve the ride, uh, in, in so many ways, as you know, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the, um, the high speed compression event, you know, you hit a, you hit an expansion joint out on the highway at 70 miles an hour, you know, that, that, that causes that bang feeling. And there's a point at which the oil just can't go through those holes any faster. And that, that's when that force of that high-speed compression event gets fed back up through the frame, you know, and, and you just have to feel that. Whereas when those holes are enlarged and the, and the, the uh, emulator is in place, um, the emulator just simply opens further, and it, and it allows that oil to pass through at a higher rate. So that's why that force isn't fed back up through the frame, and and you don't have that shock in the handlebars or in the frame, you know, from going over that pothole or square-edged bump or what have you. You know, then obviously when you do the cartridges, now you have adjustability over that. Okay, I want a little less, I want a little more. You know, if you're having too much chassis movement, that's your low-speed compression. You know, the, 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 the bike rocking back and forth under acceleration and deceleration, you want to slow that down. You increase your low speed. I'm sorry, you increase your compression damping, and it, it, it has an effect on that. So you have, some, you, have, you have control over things, you know, by turning a screw. So adjusters are good to have. They are. And I can remember uh, a couple years ago, I had bought a Triumph uh, XE 1200 Scrambler. And 
those the I guess it was the front shocks. I, I can't remember front or rear shocks. They were just not set up uh, to handle uh, those high velocity changes. Uh, the the suspension. I mean, it looked like it like it was made for the part, but internally. Um, and I remember visiting with you about this. You just said, look, you know, these things are just not set up to do what they're sort of what they were hoping they would do on the, on this kind of motorcycle, on, on an off-road motorcycle. And uh, I know you did some work on it, on some of those uh, models and, and front ends as well. It's, it's sort of a similar problem in a way, no? Similar. Are you talking about the 1200 XC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that bike came equipped with Olin's piggybacks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they look like Olin's piggybacks on the outside, but uh, not so much on the inside. And, you know, this is just how this works when an original, you know, one of the OEMs like, like BMW or Triumph or whomever uh, goes to a shock manufacturer and, and uh, wants their shocks on their bike, it's, it's, it's to a price point. You know, we want 10,000 of those. How cheap, you know, they can't leak. They can't break. How cheap can you build them? And uh, so we have to take those Olins apart and modify the piston and completely change the shin stack. I mean, we start all over because they really cut corners in, internally. And so, you know, that, that's, that's what happens because it's, it's an original equipment Olins. It's not an aftermarket Olins. In fact, Olins doesn't even have springs for those shocks. We had to have springs made. That's right. You know, that, that, that's just not part of the uh, of their aftermarket program. So, yeah, I mean, you, you can almost always improve over stock suspension. And then, of course, with these airheads, you know, now we've got stock suspension that's 30, 40 years old. So you can always do better. All right. Well, we'll be keeping an eye out uh, on the Beamer Shop webpage. And when you know something, please let me know so I can help uh, – you know, if you're going to start I will. releasing these and and offering that service, like I said, uh, I'd love to love to get in on the on the front end there. Okay, so still doing suspension. We talked about your component works now being outsourced. What else is? Well, we just don't offer it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What else is down the road for you now? I guess that you've got a little bit more time. We'll get to the the bikes that you, uh, uh, the project bikes that you want to get to, but just otherwise, personally, I mean, for instance, have you been riding motorcycles more? Are you going out to dinner more, visiting with friends? Are you taking advantage of, of your free time? Or are you somebody who's sort of a busybody, workaholic uh, guy by nature, and you're filling it with other stuff? Well, it's not like I have more free time as far, you know, we're, we're still running a very busy shop. Okay, uh, all right. You know, I think our suspension overhaul thing is backed up four or five weeks now. Um, and, you know, the guys are, are rocking and rolling in the shipping and receiving department. You know, stuff coming in, stuff yeah. going out. Um, I, um, But I don't work seven days a week anymore. That's so, good. That's <laughs> so that's good. an improvement. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think I mentioned to you that I, I play music. I'm a hobby musician. I've been playing all, you know, my whole life. And uh, started uh, started playing a little bit more music, which is fun. Uh, met a singer-songwriter guy up here in Santa Cruz, and he writes really fun songs. It's really fun doing original music. Uh, started having a little problem with one of my ears. You know, this, this also kind of overlaps with the motorcycle thing because, you know, for years, um, riding motorcycles without earplugs, 
working in a motorcycle shop where you're constantly using a blowgun without hearing protection, and then playing music, live music with PA systems and so forth without ear protection. And, you know, it's only a matter of time before you start having some some damage. And unfortunately, I've become quite the, uh, well, the novice expert. I'm certainly not an expert per se, but on the workings of the middle ear, um, I've had to learn all about the anatomy of, of the ears. And it's amazing what we take for granted. You know, we, we get these cochlear hair cells. We get about 30,000 of them when we're born, and then that's it. You don't get new ones. Nope. They don't fix themselves. Nope. And they get, uh, they get, they get blown down by, by uh, high volume. And it's just a matter of time before they're so damaged that the signals being sent up to the brain are, are, uh, are missing some information, and the brain tries to replicate those sounds, and that's when you get the screeching and the humming and, you know, this awful tinnitus that people develop that I've had since 2017. Now, of course, I'm all about the hearing protection, and, in fact, I even take uh, uh, earplugs with me, um, you know, reusable silicone earplugs. That My favorite brand right now is Earpiece, P-E-A-C-E. They're about 25 bucks. They come in a nice little uh, metal tube uh, that you can attach to your keychain, and any time the volume gets loud somewhere, I pop them in and... and and uh, I'll usually hand out, you know, if I go see a friend, a friend's band play, I'll, I'll hand them out to other people there just to try and, you know, spread the word that, hey, this is too loud and this is damaging your, your ears. And believe me, you're going to pay for this later in life. So, um, yeah, riding motorcycles, definitely should wear earplugs. You'll still be able to hear everything. It just brings the, the, uh, the peaks down. Um, some of the good ones actually have different inserts you can put in based on how much attenuation you want. You know, do you want minus 10 dB, minus 15, minus 20? So it's not that you can't hear. Yeah, I've heard that argument. Well, I don't want to ear- wear earplugs because I need to be able to hear everything that's going on. Well, that's that's not the issue. You'll be able to hear just fine. It's just that instead of hearing 95 or 100 dB, you'll be hearing 80 or 85, and you won't be mowing down those, those cochlear cells. So... That, that's that's really important. Tinnitus is a bummer. It's it's you have to learn to live with it because it's uh, the mild the mild stuff's not bad. It's just a high pitched screech, and uh, you acclimate to it after a while. They call it habituation. You 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 get used to it. But in the early goings, it's hard to sleep. It's hard to think. Hard to concentrate. But then uh, it can get worse over time, and that's why I had to stop playing music for now. Um, um, mine has gotten worse, and it's now. Uh, Low tones, so I have the screeching high tones, and now I've got low tones going. Oh, with good it. grief! And those are really, uh, yeah, they're they're really obtrusive, and and so I uh, I walk around with a little small portable noise generator, and if there's not enough noise in the room to drown it out, I turn that thing on. So um, yeah, anybody that's listening to this podcast, protect your ears. It's easy to do, and after you get tinnitus, there's no cure. So yeah, no, there's no turning back. And get another shot. <laughs> No turning yeah. back. I yeah. started wearing earplugs uh, a long time ago when I first started riding, uh, just out of habit, just because it was more comfortable uh, without having that right. that wind noise uh, directly in your ear. Helmet or I mean, I'm just, Ted. I'm talking 
back when I was 19, 20 years old, there was no helmet law in Ohio. Uh, I don't think there still is anymore anyway. But uh, when I grew up, I was always wearing a helmet and always wearing an earplug, you know, always wearing earplugs. I, too, have been a musician by trade for a number of years and probably oh, wow. the worst of it being a drummer uh, and that right. I was back behind uh, the drum set with the high frequencies of the cymbals and the low frequency yep. rumble of the bass drum and, and bass guitar and stuff. And I, I, I have to admit, I did have a hard time wearing earplugs when I was a touring musician because I, I would describe it in that scenario almost like putting a condom on your tongue when you're eating a steak. Um, it was hard. Yeah, they, they talk about isolation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was hard to discern the subtlety of music sometimes to get the balance that you wanted to hear, the sound that I wanted to hear, I should say, uh, wearing earplugs uh, as a drummer. Now, fast forward, you know, 20 years since I really stopped doing that full time and as a job, I, I have a little bit of high pitch ringing in my ear. It's not bad, uh, but I notice it. And uh, so hearing you talk about this, uh, I'm even more sensitive about it. And I've taken to wearing earplugs just about for everything that I think there's going to be some a situation that has that may have the ability to be an uncomfortable volume situation, whether it's go, just going to a bar sometimes or a restaurant yeah. or, a, or a, a social event. You've got somebody, a loud talker in your ear. <laughs> I mean, that's annoying to begin with, yeah. but then secondarily yeah. to know that they're doing ear damage, uh, damage to your ear uh, is even more, uh, more annoying. And then of course, you know, you're out, uh, I'm on the tractor, I'm mowing the yard, running the weed eater, a blower, you know, I've got earplugs and earmuffs on. So not to get, uh, yeah. we, don't, we don't want this to be a public service announcement, but uh, if you're not wearing them, and I know guys in their 40s and 50s, my age, who just never got in the habit uh, of doing it. So yeah. get in the habit is what we're saying, right? Exactly. Yeah, and just touching on the music thing real quick, yeah. you know, now um, we've got in-ear monitors that are called, they're called ambient. So yes, you have your inner monitor and you, you're able to, of course, now you can mix your own, you know, on your cell phone, you can mix your own monitor on your cell phone these days uh, with all the wireless mixers, you know, that are being used on stage. But, uh, but it's also ambient, lets a little, little sound in. And uh, so you don't lose, you know, touch with the musicians around you, the sound around you and so on. And it's the same thing with these earplugs that you can buy you know, like the earpiece, for example, for riding your motorcycle, it still lets the sound in. You can also go to a concert and listen to live music with these earplugs, and it lets all the frequencies in. It just brings them down. And uh, lastly, um, I tell people to put a uh, uh, dB meter on your phone. You can get them at the, the uh, app store for free. Yeah. And uh, if you're in any kind of environment where you're commonly seeing you know, over 90 dB, you know, 94, 95. Um, I was at a noisy uh, pizza beer joint the other day, and it was well over 100 dB in that room. It's easy to do. So I put my earplugs in. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. Everything you ever wanted to know about that. <laughs> All right, before we get off that subject, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. So who was the 
guy you were playing with? And if folks are interested, could they find a YouTube video or a recording of some of the music you made, uh, either this fella yeah. or or you were playing? Well, we did uh, we did make a little album in the studio, uh, just just the trio. We were going to add bass and drums, and then I started having this ear problem, and I kind of had to back out. But uh, the name of the band was Dirt Rakers, and they have a website. I say they because I'm not really in the band anymore, but it's DirtRakers.com. And it's just good old Americana mountain music, and it's all original. Eric Eric just writes great songs. He's very prolific, and they're fun, and we were going to work out all kinds of vocal harmonies, and I was really looking forward to it, and I didn't even get a year uh, before my right ear really started protesting. So, Mm. you know, I wish I'd... Wish I'd paid attention to it when I was younger, you know, then maybe I wouldn't be having having to quit playing music now. But uh, anyway, that's that's the name of the band. Uh, really fun stuff. I don't know what he's got on the website right now. I haven't gone in there to look. Uh, we're kind of on hiatus. You know, I think they, they're hoping that I'll get better and come back. But, you know, unfortunately, this doesn't get better. No. You know, it, it, there, is no there is no getting better. You, you can make it worse. But anyway... Very fun stuff. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was a good time. Dirt Rakers. Dirtrakers.com. Got it. One of the reasons so many airheads are still on the road today is because of great parts suppliers and enthusiasts like Boxer 2 Valve. William and Edward Plam at Boxer 2 Valve have years of experience with the 247 Airhead dating back to their first repair shop and dealership in the early 1980s. Boxer 2 Valve stocks and sources only premium parts and tools, so no need to worry if you're getting a cheap pattern or shortcut part. They simply don't carry them. Boxer 2 Valve has extensively researched which parts are correct for your motorcycle. Just enter your year and model, and you'll see only the parts that fit your bike. That takes the guesswork out of the ordering process. Real-time stock information that is also available, so no need to guess what may be on back order that could delay your project. Also, if you're digging into a repair for the first time, be sure to check out Boxer 2 Valve's video repair series. These cover both twin shock and post-81 models and are great tutorials that go step-by-step through a variety of repairs and parts replacement procedures. The video series is a great workshop companion, one I've used many times over the years. So for all your airhead parts needs, Boxer2Valve.com. That's the number two, Boxer2Valve.com. Now back to our final segment with Ted Porter. Dirt Rakers. Dirtrakers.com. Got it. All right. Well, I'm going to check that out because I, I, for some reason, I don't know, I, I, in preparing for our interview, you know, I did hours and hours of deep research on you, Ted, but um, I, I did come across somehow a picture of you playing guitar, and I, I didn't know that was uh, something you oh. did, so. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder what you, I have to see what you saw. I, I don't know. It might have just. Also some recordings. I was in a, um, you know, your typical uh, 
rock uh, rock cover band for a while because I decided I wanted to do that, and I, I I had my fill of that pretty quick. Sure, sure. Um, but it was fun. It was fun. I, I met a lot of good people there and a lot of networking with other musicians. All right, good. But, uh, I think my heart's really in acoustic in, in acoustic music. You know, it was funny. I was talking with my wife the other day, and I don't know how we were on this topic. Um, but somehow we always end up, you know, with these sort of impossible scenarios that we'll, we'll sit around and discuss this or that. Would you rather this or that? And uh, I've always, as much as I love riding motorcycles, uh, I if I, I I would be, it would be harder for me not to hear than it would to see. Just because music and conversation has been such a big part of my life, I could get away probably with not riding. Uh, motorcycles and and with a loss of vision, but boy, it would be tough for me not to be able to hear music. Yeah, it's again the things we take for granted, right? You know, and uh, you know when I express to someone about about their ears and the damage that can be done and how it's not repairable, sometimes they'll say things like, "Oh, it doesn't bother me." <laughs> And that's just so incredibly naive, you know, because you can't see this damage that's taking place and you can't feel it either until it's too late. Mm-hmm. So All right. go well, on and on about that. It's, it's been an interesting journey. Well, I, I wish you the best going forward and, and hopefully you're just able to sort of uh, attenuate it to a, a moderate level where you can just continue, you know, doing what you like to do and, and uh, it doesn't get much worse. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about... It's also about finding... I will say this one last thing. Go, Sorry. go, yeah. Important. Uh, many times people will say, oh, you need to go see an EMT because you have tinnitus. EMTs are the worst place you can go for a tinnitus uh, doctor. They, 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 they just feel like there's no treatment, there's nothing we can do for you, go home. There's nothing else I can do. And, and it, I don't know why it took so long to figure out that there was a doctor that specialized in the middle ear and that's an otologist, otology, or neuro-otology. Those are the people you want to see. And audiologists. I got way more information from an, an excellent audiologist, somebody who fits you for hearing aids, uh, than I did from the ENT doctor that I went to. So I, I, I hear about that. I see it on a tinnitus forum that I'm on, and... I just think it's important to say that in case anybody that's listening to this podcast is struggling with tinnitus and they go to the ENT and they, they don't get any help there, you don't want to see an ENT. You want to see an otologist, O-T-O, otologist or neuro-otologist. Okay, that's it. Perfect. No, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> okay, so back to motorcycles. So, uh, I don't know, seven, eight months ago, we were staying in touch, talking about setting up another interview and, and uh, visiting. And you sent me a great email, uh, and my my first thought was when when you sent this to me, it was like you know all these years, the cobbler's shoes are never fixed. The cobbler's family's shoes are always ratty and need need work. And you sent me this list of uh, at least a half dozen motorcycles that you've been sort of sitting on, for lack of a better term, for all these years. Now you've. Uh, as, as we've discussed, you've sort of turned down some of the work you're doing and looking forward to having some more time to work on some of your projects. And you've got a number of them here. The R80-7, uh, I think I remember discussing this motorcycle in our first uh, 
epic podcast episode, but this is one you bought brand new. Yeah, I bought it in '78. Rode, rode, rode the rode the wheels off that thing. Went all over the place. Did you know? I, I mean, if, if I had a day off, I was on that bike. If it was a weekend, I was on that bike. If it was vacation, I was on that bike. And um, uh, still have it. Uh, but because of the business and working so many hours and so many days, I, I took it apart. This is really, uh, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I took it apart before I moved to California. And the idea being I was going to, you know, I needed paint and had some oil leaks and I was, I was going up on the displacement and I wanted to, I wanted to go to the bottom end and balance the crank and so on. And I got it all apart. I never got it back together. So I moved it out here in boxes cause I was sure I could, you know, get it put back together once I got out here in California. And uh, that was 23 years ago and it's still in boxes. So <laughs> that is definitely high on the priority list now that I can, you know, I have bike lifts, lifts that don't have motorcycles on them now. So that's, you know, and I've got, I've got, you know, a commercial space where we run the shop. And, uh, of course, that space is getting filled up with inventory, but, but we still have bike lifts there. So I, I can get these bikes out and start working on them. But the, if I could skip ahead. Yeah, yeah. His list of bikes, it's, it's really the, the one I'm doing first is, is the 78R100 slash seven. And I needed another project like a hole in the head, but this guy had stored the bike so well, he knew what he was doing when he decided he couldn't ride any uh, ride anymore. Uh, he drained the fuel, he drained the carbs. He put the thing on top dead center and shoved rags in the mufflers. And wow. I mean, he just, he did, he just did everything right. And so with no rust in the tank, no rust in the seat pan, you know, uh, oh, he he also uh, drained all the old oil out, put fresh oil in it, put put some oil in the spark plug holes, parked it on on TDC. Um, you know, I, I I went there to look look at a '69 S that he had for sale, and it was gone. It, it, unfortunately, I, I knew that wasn't going to last long. Um, but this bike was there. And I, I was going to walk away. I should have walked away, <laughs> but I uh, couldn't couldn't control myself because it's so rare that you see a bike properly stored. And so he didn't want much for it, so I, I dragged it home. And um, that's going to be that's the first one on the list. Okay, so, because it needs the least. And this yeah. one's got uh, if it's a '78, is it a snowflake wheel? Uh, no, it's uh, because it's an R100 Flash. Well, I guess they were, they were available both ways. This is a, a spoke wheel bike. Um, it's got the traditional setup of that era, which means wind jammer fairing and uh, Reynolds backrest, you know, and a set of a set of Krauser bags. Um, but it's so clean. The, in fact, it's the. Um, uh, let's see, I'm getting them confused. See, I have so many bikes back there, I'm not getting them confused. Yeah, no, this is the red, this is the red, the, the 531 rot met, you know, red metallic, and which always fades to orange. Yeah, so you've got a great and original, and so the paint isn't faded on that one either. No, only on the front fender a little. Wow. But uh, he had a tank cover on it, and the tank looks brand new. Wow. Uh, he had, he just he just treated it so well, and so I, I just couldn't walk away. So wow. you know, I'm just going to get it fired back up, make sure it has 
Make sure it doesn't have any major exhaust valve recession or anything like that. I'm, I'm not going to restore it because you just don't get that money back. Cause no. I, I'm going to sell this one. Um, so I'm just going to do the maintenance, you know, service the wheel bearings, put new tires on it, change all the fluids, torque the heads, adjust valve, set the clearances, see if it's got an ignition or not on it. I don't know if I'll do an ignition. We'll see. Um, make sure there's no gearbox noise. You know, make sure the final drive spoilings aren't toast. You know, just all the standard stuff. Make sure it don't remain seal leak. All those things, and go ride it. You know, and 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 let that one go to a good home. Because I, I have so many more. I mean, I have three slash sevens. I have my R80, and I have two R100 slash sevens. Yeah. I don't need another one. So that'll be that. Uh, then I have an orange metallic 78 R100 slash seven as well that sat in the guy's front yard locally under a cover um but surprisingly i guess because you know out here it's it's fairly dry we don't have a lot of humidity and uh it 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 survived that that plight which you know so often they don't in terms of uh you know top end rusting and seat pan rusting and tank this one does have uh, tank issues so i've got to get a tank for it Uh, but that's going to be next i think then I want to get the 7490S going. Uh, I think I told you about that. I, I got a phone call from a man's widow. He went into the hospital for just some outpatient outpatient surgery, is the, is the story I was told, and something went wrong. So uh, he didn't make it home. But he had bought the 7490S new, and it's very original. You know, still has the original... I don't know if you remember those plastic cable ties that they use. Oh, yeah. Only from 74. Sure. Yeah, it's, it, all those are still original on there. The 74 instrument had white striped all around the circumference, I guess you could say, of the instrument lens. Yep, you had a, a zero bar. A zero for for the neutral indicator. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the housing, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so these white striped lenses were only used in 74, and they had a tendency to fall off. The, the lens would pop out, and so you'd buy a new top instrument housing and replace it, and the new one didn't have the white stripes. So that's how original is. It's sort of unusual to still see that. And then, you know, it had the really fat markers on the uh, on the, on the uh, face uh, that, that they only had in 74. So anyway, it's a very, very original bike. He stopped riding it because the master cylinder started leaking. And uh, he parked it, and brake fluid, you know, ran down the frame and, you know, onto the engine emblems, and uh, that all needs to be cleaned up. Actually, most of that's already done. Uh, and then he started, he had a Ducati uh, that he rode when the master cylinder started leaking on this bike. So I helped her sell the Ducati, and then I bought the 90S. So that bike, it did have Lester's on it. I did get a good set of spoke wheels for it polish the rims and put some stainless spokes on it and that, that all looks real pretty and that's ready to go and other than that um tank you know god awful just i'm dreading that job <laughs> um it's just disgusting in there and so that you know that's uh that's what made that red slash seven so appealing you know the gas tank looked like brand new inside and it was yeah. and dry you know this one is just full of garbage and i I've, I've just got to go in one day and just deal deal with that task, um, but I'd I'd love to get that bike on the road because it's it's got patina. It's a rider. It's not a show bike. 
but it's so original. Now, is that so, one you would, is that one you would keep and ride yourself? I mean, you mentioned, for instance, I, I think, I think, yeah. And I know I was just going to say you were thinking about selling the uh, uh, the red slash uh, seven R one hundred to get you know move that on to a new owner. But some of these, like you say, a nice original seventy four ninety S. Yeah, that that might be a hard yeah, one to part that, with. Yeah, that that that's a keeper. I, I think. Yeah, I, I'd like to put my energy into that and get that bike running for you know a lot of reasons. Um, I've also got a seventy five ninety S. Very rough. Have no idea what I'm going to do with that bike. Um, didn't pay much for it. No fairing. Very poor state, and I just haven't even gotten into that. That's probably going to be at the pretty far down the list. Probably would like to start getting my R80 back together. All the parts are painted, so I'd like to start building that motor because the crank is out. I got to I got to get that going again. Yeah. So on the R80, what what color is it? So you had you said you had it painted, but did you have it re- different color back yeah. to factory? What is yeah. it? Yeah, it was Havana gold. Oh, okay. And, uh, I always really liked that color. That was a brown. Yeah. You know, it really was not gold. It was a brown color, but it was called Havana Gold. And, uh, you know, I bought that bike new. I had my choice of all the colors. I chose that color. I liked that color, but I, I cannot believe how much flack I got from people. <laughs> like, why did you buy, why did you get it in that color? Well, I like that color. What is wrong with Havana Gold? It's a nice color. I agree. And um, the, the gold, I guess, was on the on the pinstripes. Yeah, it had a gold stripe. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I decided I I, um, I don't know I was in sort of a classic mood and um, <laughs> you know Avis Black is just so easy to live with you know it's just it's non-metallic so it's very easy to touch up and I, I, I you know instead of a white stripe I went with a blue stripe you know there, the, the Slash Seven was available in that color for a while it was a it was sort of a, a unusual color but an Avis Black with a blue stripe. So I decided to follow that uh, that direction. Okay. And so now it's black. All right. Yeah. So, and I'm happy with that. And it's I wanted an S, but couldn't afford one back in 1978. And so um, this bike ultimately evolved into a, <laughs> into an R90S. It's a fake S, um, except for the color. It, it, it you know it S fairing S seat. Uh, R90S engine emblems. I know that's sacrilege, but I, I did that. <laughs> but I did put an R90S top end on the Slash 7. So, yeah, you know, it's not that fake of a 90S. It's sort of a 90S. Okay. All but, right. Uh, anyway, that's, that's, yeah, that's how that's set up. Interesting. And, you know, um, and you were much younger, and that was just what you were doing back then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how old was I? I was 20-something. I yeah. Was, you know. Pretty young in 1978. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, I'd like to get that thing back together. I have an R100GS that a guy ran out of oil. Yeah. So what's the story on that? I mean, so yeah, I see your notes here. He apparently he, he said so he calls you and says, "Hey Ted, uh, I'm on the side of the road. The engine was knocking, and then it stopped running." Exactly. It was a voicemail. I was busy in the shop. I didn't answer the phone. And I saw the red light blinking, so I picked up the voicemail. And that's right. He said, uh, hey, this is so-and-so. Um, engine's making a noise. I thought I would ride it over to the shop and, and have you listen to it. But, you know, mistake one, you know, your engine's knocking. You don't ride the bike. 
he said, but now I'm on the side of Highway 1 just north of Watsonville, and I'm wondering if you can come get me. <laughs> and then I listened to the next message, and he said, disregard, uh, I got a flatbed coming. And then uh, it wasn't long after that that he was backing into the, into the shop parking lot. He had he just run it out of oil. Good grief! It was knocking because he was you know he was taken out a connecting rod bearing and he just kept going at highway speed. The speed limit I think on that section of one is sixty five. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't do that if you're if you've got a knock in the motor, you shut the thing off. But uh, anyway, he didn't want to fix it. He says, you know, I hardly ever ride it. I use it. I don't want to spend any money on it. What will you give me for it? And I happen to have an R one hundred block that I'd taken out of another bike that I had parted out uh, years ago. So, because that, that crank, if that's the one I'm thinking, I've had two that have done this, a slash five and this one. Um, I can't remember if he broke the crank or not. It's, it's, it's been a while since I put the motor together and I got rid of them. I got rid of the other one. Anyway, one of these uh, literally broke, broke the crank. And it got wedged inside the block, and it just ruined the block. And I couldn't even get the crank out of it. Wow. So, yeah, I tossed the bottom end and just put the, I think it's. I think it was this bike. Again, I got too many of them. Uh, Slash 5 is a similar story. A little bit more of a, it's even sadder, <laughs> even sadder than that story because a, a dealer serviced it. I think this is the one where there was a piece of O-ring you know, in the old days, when you bought an oil filter kit, it, you know the oil filters did not have O-rings attached, right? And and you you would have you have separate O-rings. And of course, for the last I don't know how many years, twenty years or more, the O-rings are attached to the filter. Well, whenever you take a filter out of one of these, you really need to shine a flashlight up in the in the filter cavity and make sure there's no O-ring left up in there, no piece of oil oil filter like the oil filter cap left up in there, and it, it, it was something like that. This was so many years ago, but anyway, the, the dealer that did the service just didn't look up inside the cavity and didn't note because I found it. I did the, the you know the, the failure analysis and found pieces of the old oil filter up in there. And as a result, the filter cap, you know, as, as he was tightening down the cap, you know, the, the the length of the oil, the new oil filter plus the old O-rings. I, there may have even been a piece of the filter cap in there. I don't remember, but it just—he wasn't able to completely seal the cap. No, the, no, the, uh, yeah, with the cap, and so he just lost oil pressure on eighty-five, which is you know a main divided highway again, sixty-five mile per hour speed limit, and the thing locked up on him. He tried to take it back to the dealer. They said they were too busy, couldn't see it right away, and somebody referred him to me. So uh, I got a look at it, and uh, yeah, it was the bottom end was just destroyed and I, I wasn't, I was not able to resurrect or, or keep that, keep those serial numbers matching. You know, it, it, it was impossible. The, the crankcase was damaged. And so, you know, this is going to be a rider. It's not going to be a show bike because it, it, it's going to have another bottom end in it. So the serial numbers won't match, but, um, but they're fun. You know, it's a toaster. It's yeah. Right. Toaster. Yeah. Short wheelbase. Flick it around a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and it, and it and it looks good. Yeah, it looks good. Just needs a motor. Now, so some of these you're going to sell, some of them you're going to keep. Are how you might not even know this now, but I mean, are you are you going to list these maybe for sale on on your website on the Beamer Shop 
dot uh, com. You're these, um, how, how you're going to tell yeah. some friends and family, sort of keep it in your circle, or what? And I tend to have people already looking. Yeah, you know, it's just they they will at some point run out of patience, you know, because I just won't I won't get it done in time, and they'll find another bike, and that's fine. You know, I'm not I'm not in the business of restoring and selling motors. No, no, not not at all. I have I just have too many of them, and at some point, some of them are have to go away. But I, I think I, I may, I may eat these words, but I think I might sell the R100 GS, um, keep the toaster, the 7490S, um, my slash seven, because I also have an R1100S and I also have an S650 GS single. I, I, it's plenty. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, I forgot about the 77 R100S. You know, you didn't write that oh, in the notes. What's the deal with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that was a transmission issue. Guy brought it in, needed transmission overhaul. He was a younger guy, didn't have any money, because I don't have money for this. I said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, well, you buy it. So I bought it. I fixed the transmission, and it's a 77 with that red paint that turns to, to orange. So that's all a part to be painted. It depends on, you know, these bikes are all so different. They all have personalities. I remember years ago, back when I had my shop in the 80s in Maryland, I had these two guys that rode together. God, I can see their faces. I can't remember their names. But they both had R100Ss. Okay. And one of them, Barry, one, one guy was named Barry. Barry would bring in his R100Ss and say, hey, you know, what can we do to make the John? He would say, what can we do to make this faster than John's bike? I'd say, well, you know, we would do some things. And then John would call me up and go, what'd you do to Barry's bike? <laughs> and so, you know, it was, it, these guys were, were really fun. And, um, but, ta- you know, talking about two different bikes, t- two of the same bikes that had such different personalities. And so, you know, I don't know which one of these bikes, you know, they, they, they all feel different. They, they, they have, like I said, their own personalities. So I may go ride that R100 slash seven after I get it running and, and think to myself, Oh my God, what a, listen to this thing per, I can't, I can't sell this. <laughs> you know, that, that, that happens, right? It does. So, doesn't um, it? So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. But I bought a, that's uh, kind of my thought without riding. Yeah. I bought a 77 S uh, a year and a half ago. It was a, um, salvage title bike and the fella yeah. I bought it from, Apparently he he called it a uh, low impact slow motion accident that uh, he said bent a fork tube the left fork tube and he didn't want a lot of money for the motorcycle it was all original seventy seven s um, the paint was faded it wasn't the good fade either you know they can fade to where they look like a Les Paul uh, sunburst Les Paul or they can fade to that sort of what I call like a white rose fade, which isn't really too attractive. And this was the the less of the two, at least on the uh, front fairing and the rear seat cowl. The tank was pretty good because he kept a uh, kept a tank cover on it. Uh, and he put Talbot mirrors on it. Anyway, I got it pretty cheap, and not long after. And when I test rode it, I could feel the bike was pulling to the right severely. I could even see on the tire, the wear on the tire. It was pretty obvious what was going on. 
And I thought, okay, you know, I'd driven up to Cleveland to buy it from here in Arkansas, but it wasn't a lot of money. So I went ahead and, and, and bought it. I was glad I did. I found a guy in Atlanta, and I'll be doing an episode on this, uh, outside of Atlanta called GMD CompuTrack. And it turns out the, the, the frame needed straightening. Uh, there was some yeah. frame damage. Right. And uh, I took it down there, you know, kind of, quote, unquote, while you wait. You know, I got down there on a Friday, stayed in a hotel, took it to him Saturday, and uh, picked it up Sunday morning and drove home. Anyway, all that to say... I got the bike dialed back in. I turned it in, in turned it into a sort of R100T. I took the fairing off, put on some regular style bars. Anyway, Ted, it's really been one of my favorite bikes to ride now. I really love that S motor. Uh, I love the way it feels. It's yeah. it's torquey, it's rumbly. Uh, it's got compared to the R90S that uh, I have a 75. You know, you say they all have a different personality. The thing I noticed with the S is, uh, the 100S, is it just has a fatter torque curve to it. I can feel the motor throughout the RPM range. It just feels like a big sort of fat torque blast I'm getting through the whole range where the 90 is a little thinner. Uh, for whatever reason. So, you know, I know what you're saying. Uh, each bike has its own feel and personality, and some are some are just different or better than others. So I get it. Yeah, no, just, no replacement for displacement, as they say. No, no, uh, not at all. I was, and, 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 you know, Kent down there at GMD, yes. they actually buy uh, suspension stuff from us. Uh, re- we really like those guys. It's, it's, a, it's a real professional uh, operation they got down there. Kent Saunier, I believe, right? Yeah, he's got a, a French last name. It looks like Saunier or something, you know, how they would pronounce it down uh, in, uh, in 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 the south, not in Louisiana. They would know it was Saunier. But, yeah, it was uh, – I'm looking forward to doing that podcast and episode with him because it was just amazing. It was funny, Ted, because when I bought the bike, I was like – uh, we, you know, I thought it was the tire. It could be the wheel bearings needed replaced. But, boy, you take your hand off the wheel, and it was a hard pull to the right. And I was I was thinking, you know, gosh, how, how is it this bad? You know, I'm thinking of some of these other problems. Finally, what it was, I was just in the garage one night. I looked at and I caught my gaze, and I could just see the forks were off center. I mean, it literally took me just catching – catching that, having a moment where the light was right. I looked at it and I said, boy, they are actually bent. So I got out of level, started running the bubble level against some things. And then it was pretty obvious what was going on. And they, he put that in a, what I really called a, a hydraulic medieval torture device. And they kept the engine in, you know, they didn't really have to take it apart too much. And uh, I'll be damned. Uh, he got that thing dialed in really good. Yeah. I think there were CompuTrack centers all across the U.S. at one point. That's by, right. My memory's serving me, and I think he's like perhaps the last. I, of them. I believe you're 100 uh, percent correct. He, I think he had paid at the time when I was visiting with him. Uh, I think you know twenty five, thirty thousand dollars for the system, but probably more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, however long ago, right. and, and of course, you know they do a lot of race bikes. You know, guys are uh, on the race circuit, privateers, and, you know, they crash them and get them 
straightened up and uh, back on back on the track. But um, that's interesting. Yeah, and he he in fact asked me if I wanted to do uh, race tech cartridges in the front forks, and uh, I just. Mm-hmm. I didn't at the time. I wish I, I would have when uh, when I was down there, but I just wasn't in a position to do it. But uh, anyway, all that to say, uh, yeah, that 77S you've got too. If you sell that uh, or keep it, whatever you do with it. I'm just a real real fan of, of that particular year uh, and model. Me too. And, you know, first year S for the R100, first year S for the R90. Yeah. Um, those might be keepers. Yeah. I think so. How they, you know, how how I relate or how they relate to me, whatever the case, uh, how it feels when I ride it. You know, do you get do you get the uh, do you get the you know the smile, the grins, and the goosebumps? You know, and and uh, and if I do, then you know that'll be that'll that'll make the decision. Yeah. The last thing I'll say about that is I bought one. uh, I had a '77 S that had. This was years ago. This is. When I was really just a rider and I lived in Memphis, I didn't know much about repairing or maintenance. And I bought one. It actually had the nice fade on it and, you know, that sort of Les Paul sunburst color. And the fun, and I, I still, I lived in Memphis, but I went to Ohio and I went by Holt BMW. Uh, I was visiting some friends in Athens mm-hmm. where I went to college. <laughs> and this just gives you an idea how young and dumb people can be. You know, here I am, I, I was probably, I don't know, 26, 27, pull up to Holt BMW. Hey, oh, Darren, uh, yeah, look, I see that uh, S you got there. It's got that faded, faded paint. I was like, oh, no, nope, nope. This came from the factory this way. Can't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's boy. just like oh, okay whatever darren you know how, how are you doing yeah, you know yeah. what's going on new subject i mean why even bother having that conversation um but anyway yeah i i just have, i've got a soft spot for those bikes so i'll be curious to hear how you get along with that and maybe uh in the next year or so we'll catch up with you again and and find out how, how these all these projects turned out Oh, no pressure or anything, huh? I got to get this <laughs> no, done exactly. before next year. Huh? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> but all right, so uh, Ted, let's let's expensive. just let's recap a little bit here. Um, so as we discussed at the top of the program, really Beamer Shop right now is focusing on suspension work. Uh, if you've got questions or needs uh, for any any bike, really, uh, BM in the BMW line, uh, two four seven or not. Uh, we can give you uh, give you a call and get what you need there. Yeah, we'll, and beyond. Yeah, know, and beyond. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we represent six manufacturers now, so we're importing and distributing. And so, uh, you know, we're in the KTM world. We're in the Triumph world. Uh, adventure bikes, you know, that's a huge market. Big time. Uh, and then because we represent tractive suspension in the U.S., you know, these are the former WP guys oh. that uh, left WP when uh, – when KTM bought them, when KTM bought WP and moved the factory to Austria, and these guys wanted to stay in Holland, and and so uh, they started their own company. Well, these are the guys that invented ESA, so you know everything with ESA, which is the electronic suspension adjustment. Um, you know that's they're, they're king in that regard, and then they developed their own dynamic damping valve, the electronics, you know, the electronic suspension, and actually they're selling technology to BMW right now. So okay. they're, they're huge in the, in the electronic shock world. 
And so, um, you know, we represent them. But, you know, that product's also really big with the new uh, Ducati Desert X. So we're all over the place now in terms of suspension. We, we, we cover it all. Um, and then, you know, we have the parts for the old bikes because that's my roots, yep. uh, obviously. So um, all the parts we needed to have on the shelf to, to, to repair and rebuild these bikes, we still have all those parts on the shelf. In fact, a lot of it's not even on our website yet. Uh, but at any rate, yeah, we, 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 we sell all that stuff. Stay as, busy with the suspension world. As they say, Ted, uh, Beamer Shop uh, for all your suspension needs, uh, as, as it might sound. <laughs> There you go. Um, and, and, and it's good to know because as far as parts go, uh, I don't know if you rem- you might remember this. Gosh, I want to say it was going on 10 years ago. I was in Texas at, in Big Bend. I blew a fork seal. And I was, I'm thinking, and this, we had just gotten there. And, you know, it was like three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm just thinking, okay, is there any, who can I call right now? Who can overnight a fork seal for my GS? Uh, who's on the West Coast? I called you and <clears throat> the UPS shipment had not gone out for the day. And you said, oh yeah, yeah, uh, UPS guy will be here in 30 minutes, but we can get this packed up. Where do you want it sent overnight? You know, so I think I paid $120 for a $10 uh, fork seal, but I mean, Right. You know how it goes. Uh, that's how it's needed yep, sometimes. You have to have it. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and it got there in time, so it was good to know I could get you on the horn, and you had that part in stock, uh, and you were able to get it to me uh, in that proximity because you were on the West Coast. So there wasn't anybody I could have yeah. called on the East Coast uh, that that would have been able to right. have done that that day. So uh, still old airhead cool. parts and stuff like that. Uh, you can holler at yeah. you for that. And like I said, I'm going to be interested to hear what this uh, cartridge system you're uh, learning more about and, and playing with is all about. Uh, uh, just yeah. uh, keep me keep me posted, what, as they say on that, Ted. And you have an uh, you have an '85 on a bike. You want it, you want that on a monolever? I would probably want it on my R100s. Oh, okay, I have one kit now for an '81 to '84. So that's why I'm looking to put that in something, but um, but I, I do want to get some slash six, five six seven kits in also and play with them before I, uh, you know, I, I want to see how they work before, you know, it's just the worst thing when you, it, it's happened to me only once thankfully, where I got a lot of requests for a product, and I hadn't I hadn't tried that product on any of my own bikes yet, but everybody was asking for it, yep. and I, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I jumped on the bandwagon and that product wasn't very good. And, uh, this is, this is many years ago, gosh, probably 10, probably more than 10 years ago now. And I had to immediately take that product back off, off the site and stop selling it. And I had to dole out a lot of refunds and, you know, it was a lesson learned. Yeah. That's how I feel about these cartridges. You know, I may come back going, Oh, you know what? Those things are awful. I'm not selling them. (laughs) You know, so I want to find out. I want to put them on something that I can ride, and uh, you know maybe if this slash seven, since it's the closest thing to being running of all the bikes, you know maybe I'll throw a set in that bike and 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 do some experimenting uh, just to make sure you know before I before I put them out there on the site. Prudent move. Prudent move. So or you could maybe you could do a little uh, depending on how much riding you're doing. Uh, 
Maybe you could do a little beta testing for me. I'd be, I'd be, ha- I'd, I'd be happy to be a beta tester. Hundred percent, happy to do it. Okay, happy to do All it. Right. And okay. so we want to direct folks uh, beamershop.com. And again, we mentioned uh, Todd Milliken, uh, who's now doing uh, who, who who you're recommending uh, your customers uh, for uh, head work. His information's on there, yep. uh, and so folks can find out what they need there. So Ted. Uh, as always, it's been a real pleasure visiting with you. I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Uh, best with your ears, and I, I hope you. you I hope you get all that ironed out. And we'll look forward to catching up with you again down the road. Sounds real good. All right, it's always a pleasure, Darren. Take care of yourself. Well, great visit as always with Ted. Want to thank everybody for joining us this week. Until next time, so long, everybody. The Airheads 247 podcast is distributed and produced by From Off Productions. Our producer engineer is Jeff Glover. I'm Darren Dorton. Look forward to catching up with you next time.